0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Happy Friday. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and I'm Holly Fry. We closed out our episode on Jim Thorpe this week a three part episode, which no matter how we have arranged it, which at this point, as we we're recording it, we don't know. It's going to be a little awkward. <laughs>
0: We'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, two episodes will be in one week and one episode in a different week, and we don't really exactly know where that's going to fall. But by the time folks are hearing this, it will be obvious. It will have fallen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mentioned this in the episode, but I really just find the, the, the story of what to do with Jim Thorpe's remains after his death to be so heartbreaking. Because, I mean, I've seen families go through just wrenching decisions about, like, how to care for a loved one who is in their last days of life or where they should be buried or how they should be buried or, like, some other really fundamentally important part of their last days as a living person and then what should happen after their death. And then with Jim Thorpe, that family dispute is just complicated by all of this history of, like, federal Indian policy and reservation land and all of this stuff coming together. So it's, like, something that's already just such a sad disagreement within a family, especially since it seems like everyone was on, of like, of the same mindset or that most of them were on the same mindset at first and that gradually shifted. Like, having that then be complicated by something that includes, you know, federal NAGPRA legislation is just so hard. And also I think really important to talk about because when we've talked about Nagpra on the show before we have been talking about r- remains that like someone's immediate next generation descendants were not still living a lot of the time. Right. So questions uh sometimes about what what the next step should be sometimes felt a little bit more theoretical like still critically important to the people involved but not so much a, a family of brothers and sisters not agreeing with whether their father's soul was at peace, which was, like, part of this.
0: Yeah, it, um... It's, I think it's a, as you said, it's important to talk about because it It provides a really good, not in the sense of enjoyable, but a really strong illustrative example of how complex this whole thing becomes. Mm-hmm. Um... I had a a moment during listener mail for this episode while we were talking about cataloging. I had mm-hmm. such a flashback because you know I worked for um a university library for a decade mm-hmm. as like a, a a paraprofessional. I worked in cataloging and was tight with the AACR two manual. Um, and I, I had a, a just that moment of thinking about and reflecting on how libraries break down um cataloging and archives and that's seems in my limited experience to be a little more even than other other yeah. industries which is interesting in terms of the men to women ratio.
1: Yeah. I've read several really interesting articles about fields that were regarded as being women's work that became professionalized and then became male dominated and I had not thought at all about that the relationship of that to like these glass plates at Harvard and the fact that uh, the people who had been curating those plates, like I was totally thinking about the fact that the people who had been curating those plates, uh, like the first one was literally hired from being a housekeeper, like that part I had thought of, but I had not really thought so much about as the collection progressed and as curation progressed as a field, um, how that affected the gender of the people working with the collection um, and what the balance there was like. So I was really glad to get that email and have a chance to talk about it. Uh, I also hope that um, people have not found the experience of having a three-part podcast to be unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said at the beginning, I'd, I was really expecting a two-parter when I sat down, and then I had, I had a completed draft of the whole thing when I kind of went, oh, man, this is this is three. three." <laughs>
0: This is three. <laughs> I uh, remember you pinging me and telling me how long each of your two were, and I was like, "Oh boy." <laughs> yeah, it was. I was like, "We're getting into hour-long episode territory." Yeah, um, which is, you know, once in a while they they run longer, but I think if we had two hour longers back to back, one those get very hard to record because we get very mm-hmm. tired. Yeah, um, and two, you know, it just messes with the the usual flow a bit. Yeah.
1: Well, and I also felt like uh, splitting it into three also let us spend a little bit more time on context. Some of it is context we've talked about before. Um, Like our episodes on the Fort Shaw Indian School girls basketball team and the occupation of Alcatraz in particular have walked through some of the same things. But at this point, those episodes are also well enough in the past that people haven't necessarily heard them. People who aren't already familiar with that history or did not personally live through that history don't necessarily have it all out of top of mind. So um, having it as a three-part, I thought gave us three really nice acts about <laughs> these phases of Jim Thorpe's life and then also a little bit more time to spend on some of the other contextual pieces.
0: Tracy, this week we talked about Joel Poinsett and the mm-hmm. poinsettia. We sure did. The first thing I want to do is ask you, and you mentioned it to me, I can't remember if it was in the show itself, how did you pronounce poinsettia growing up? Poinsettia. Me too. So did my husband. Yeah, I think a lot
1: of people in the South do that. It, like I, th- that was like just how everybody said it when I was growing up was poinsettia. Yeah, same. Um, <laughs> there uh, is an organization in Atlanta called the Atlanta Radio Theater Company. Mm-hmm. Um, that. Uh, does a I I don't know if they're doing it this year because of the pandemic, but like they have generally done a holiday show that includes lots of different Christmas and winter holiday stories. Um, and there's one about uh, it's like a fictionalized thing about about the poinsettia, and I don't even remember what the uh what this point of the story is, but like the person who does the voice for it says poinsettia in this, like, very stylized way. (laughs) And so a lot of times when I'm saying poinsettia, the way I've always said it, something in my head is going (laughs)
0: poinsettia. I love it. I mean, I did, in looking it up, there are people who will still say it is perfectly acceptable to pronounce it that way.
1: I looked it up before we started, and Merriam-Webster had poinsettia listed as the name, and then I can't remember what the... It was, like, non-standard poinsettia. Yes, exactly. I was like... Exactly. Well, do I want to say my non standard pronunciation that I've said my whole life in this episode so that we can get emails from people asking, why do we say it wrong?
0: <laughs> well, and I will say this as well. I even learned spelling of it completely incorrectly growing up. Really? Like, I literally have somewhere in a note in a relative's handwriting who I will not out P O I N T. S-E-T-T-A. Poinsettia. There's a T in a place I didn't expect it. Because it doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) But it's one of those things where it's not a common enough word that, like, it might necessarily appear on a spelling test for a kid. So if you're only getting it from relatives, I spelled that thing wrong for years before I actually saw it in print somewhere and wait, hold the phone. That's amazing. I love this story. I will say... I love poinsettias so much. Um, When I got married, we were very poor. (laughs) And so uh, to do our wedding, which was in a movie theater, I went to Home Depot and I bought 100 poinsettias because they were cheap. And we lined the whole theater with them. And then as the guests left, they could just pick one and take it home with them. And that was like both our decor and the favor as a cost-cutting measure. But I have people who kept those things for years. I don't know if any That's of them are wonderful. still alive.
1: I also combined decor and favors.
0: It's the easiest thing to do, both yeah. from a just a logistical perspective and it, it just prevents wasting cash.
1: Right, right. We were also yeah. going to talk about animals.
0: hmm I didn't go super deep on the research, but I did see in several places uh, nurseries mentioning hey, there was this paper that came out decades ago that claimed that these were super-duper poisonous. That got propagated everywhere, and it's not actually true. But I didn't actually hunt down all the science. I just saw an awful lot of reputable places going, that's that's not so true.
1: Yeah. I feel like I had heard that long in the past, but had since heard it in a place more like, maybe an irritant, (laughs) Right. Like, if your cat likes to eat plants... Might not be great,
0: yeah, and even at our wedding, I originally wanted Poinsettia blossoms, like on the serving tables and on the cake, and both the cake lady and the the people doing setup were like, "You cannot do that, it's too mm. poisonous, and I was like, "Oh, okay, 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 huh, all right, fine." <laughs> <laughs> but I still love them. This was an eye opener of an episode for me. I had not really looked deeply at Joel Poinsett's career. Like I knew he was a statesman and had brought the poinsettia to the US. I did not know that Mexico had an entire word of <laughs> degradation for him. Yeah. Um, which I was telling a friend of mine who speaks Spanish because uh, she was helping me work through some of these. And she had not heard it either and was like, we're using that forever going forward, right? I was like, yes, we are. <laughs> I like that plan. Sorry, Jill Poinsett. points are Poinsettese. Uh,
1: I have been to both Charleston and Greenville, South Carolina, and I, I just, I, it's totally possible that I saw various commemorative markers in that statue, but man, I have no recollection of it whatsoever.
0: You blocked it out.
1: (laughs) I knew. I had sort of a precognition that it was going to turn out. (laughs) He got on everybody's nerves in Mexico real bad.
0: So uh, if you would like to write to us about how you pronounce poinsettia or poinsettia, or whether or not you uh, recall seeing any Joel Poinsett markers, you can do that at HistoryPodcast at iHeartRadio.com. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. And uh, you can always subscribe to the show on the iHeartRadio app at Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
1: Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watch it?